Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. Last week, if you're here, last week we began this series. It looks shocking, it looks scary. Um, It gets us out of our comfort zones. Last week, we basically entered last week, didn't we, Sarah? We said, let's say sex as many times as we can in church, just to desensitize everybody to it, so that we can talk about the subject and be real with each other. Who wants to go to a church where you can't be real with each other, right? Do I get that? Smile at me. Okay, all right, so let's practice smiling. Sarah, smile at everybody. Look at that smile. Everybody smile. Teeth. Teeth is the official definition of a smile. Go. Everybody smile. Oh, that's much better. All right, very good. So if we're going to stand here and we're going to talk about sex, and I've got to do it with my mum sat on the front row, then you guys can at least smile at me. Is that all right? Where's your lion head gone? Why are we doing this? Where's your lion head gone? Anyway, yeah, so as we said, there are so many different types of people in the room. We're just going to quickly recap for those that this is your first week here. And and I just believe it's really important to mention again that we said, you know, there are some people that might have a really strong visceral reaction to this. Even just coming this morning and seeing the word pure sex because it can mean so many different things to so many different people. We know that there, for as many of you are sitting here, there are that many experiences and that many viewpoints of coming towards this subject. And um, so I just really want to encourage you, you know, we talked um, in length last week. If you haven't listened to last week, you can catch up. But again, I'm just going to recap briefly the difference between conviction and condemnation. And they at first can feel like a very similar thing. So you might, visceral reaction is, I mean, you might get your heart is pounding, you feel sick, you feel angry, you feel like cross and sad and upset. You might feel sick. And I was saying, unless you know you might have had a bit of a dodgy curry, please don't throw up on the floor. But otherwise, stick it out. Please stick it out. So even though everything within you might want to run and leave this room this morning, I just want to encourage you to stick it out and just ask the Holy Spirit, why why have I reacted like that, Holy Spirit? Because sometimes there can be things that we have just blocked, we have forgotten about, and it will be a subject like this that it will just bring it to the surface. So it's just really about asking the Holy Spirit, why am I reacting like that? And the thing is, with condemnation, we said they come with their really unhelpful friends, which is shame and guilt. And shame and guilt never helped anybody. So shame and guilt just wants to keep you trapped. It wants to keep you feeling worthless. It wants to keep you feeling sick and having heart palpitations and feeling awful. That's what condemnation does. But conviction, it can feel uncomfortable. It can make you squirm a little bit. But then the Holy Spirit is just saying, come on, Julian, let's just look at this area. Let's just have a look here. With my help, the Holy Spirit We'll do this together. And that's the thing, church, get the lie out of your head right now that you have to clean yourself up and then approach God. That's not how it works. He wants us to come to him, warts and all, give it to him. And we'll talk a bit more about that later. Condemnation is often man-made and conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you as we're talking, hear from the Holy Spirit. It's a still small voice and it can drop in to your heart. We've called this series Pure Sex Matters of the Heart. So it it really is not just about a brain thing, it's about a heart thing. And some of these truths have to drop from our head into our hearts. 
Um, the church has done a great job. I say the church, I speak all around the world and I use it as a collective noun for all churches. But the church has shouted loudly about subjects that it hasn't really given the thought to or done enough study to know about. Or alternatively, the church has pushed underground the subject of sex to the point where it's so underground we're not honest about the failures and the challenges that we face. And then we've created an environment where our young people don't even feel safe to come to share their problem because we pushed it under the gra- underground. We all come to church, we all look like we've got everything sorted out. But I'm telling you, as you look around here this morning, and for those people that have filled in questions on our website, Simi, the other one has got a link to a, to a website. There it is. People have been filling in their questions, and from it, we can tell that there are some people that are in agony in this place over the subject of sex and relationships. And there are people facing so many different challenges, and we're going to make it personal this morning. And I mean, there are husbands in this place today that um, they feel just crushed by the relationship they're in. They just want to run, and that's kind of... Some people are sat here feeling that way, and there are wives that have filled this in saying... Do you know what? I just can't be bothered to engage in intimacy with my other half anymore. And they're they're facing those. We've got single people that have filled this in that are just like so happy as singles. And then there are people that have filled in questions that they're saying, I just, I I really desire a partner. I don't want to be single anymore. And I'm struggling with the challenges surrounding that. And If you imagine all of these different groups sat around here, we've had questions about same-sex attraction. I feel like I'm attracted to people of the same sex as me, and they've answered questions that we need to try and answer for them. So there's all of these people sat here today, and we've got to try and find some way of navigating it and talking about it. The church at the moment isn't talking about it. They've said it's too difficult a subject because there's so many people that have so many different problems. We'll avoid it. And I don't think that's a helpful strategy either. So that's why we're sat here today, catching your attention with pure sex and we put a bed on the stage. Somebody said on our Facebook page this week, uh, this is you trying to attract attention, didn't they? And I was like, absolutely it is trying to get your attention on a subject that we need to be bold enough to talk about. That's exactly what we're doing. This is the headline, but the truths that we're going to share this morning are going to far cover every area of our lives. So if you have a response this morning, um, I just really want to encourage you, sit it out and listen to us as we share. Last week, the, the gist of everything that we shared was really about God's word and holding God's word firm and in place in our society and our community. And I believe that that's one of the very first things that as a church we're expected to do is to hold God's word in place firm. It never moves, it never shakes, it never, it's the firm foundation of, that our community can revolve around and it never moves. Who knows that our world is built on moving ground all the time. The rules are changing in this world. There's so much uncertainty. We have no idea whether we'll be in Europe or out of Europe. We have no idea what the government is or isn't doing, what they're prepared to pay for, what they're not prepared to pay for. We have no idea. The world moves. But we have something that can never move, and it's our job to hold it firm and fast. So um, we read a scripture. If I can have the first scripture that we started with last week, We pulled the plaster off and read this scripture, which is found in Corinthians. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, which sounds like our world, 
Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. And that was found in Corinthians, which is a letter to the new covenant churches of which we are one. So we just felt, let's pull the plaster off this morning. So if you're in any doubt about what the biblical um, ground is or what the standpoint is written in the Bible in God's word, this is the standard that was set for everybody. And we took God's word and that scripture and we placed it on this bookshelf over here. If you're here for the first time, we're just giving you a recap on last week. And we put it there and we realised that this is God's standard. God's word is available to everybody. Anybody can reach out for God's word. But I use my Bible to paint the picture of God's standard. All right, God's standard. And we, it's, we put it there and we, we reach out. What do you reach out for when you're going to make a decision in your life? What are you reaching out for? Are you reaching out for what God's standard is? Or are you reaching for some other thing? Or are you interpreting it your own way? So we put God's standard on the bookshelf. And then we read about how Jesus came and he took the, the standard and he raised the bar on the standard. Jesus said, if you look at another woman with lust in your heart, it's as good as committing adultery. Now Jesus lifts the standard and puts it even higher. Now it's hard to reach for. We proposed last week that it doesn't matter how you see sex. It doesn't matter the experiences of your life. It's as hard for everybody to reach for that standard. Every person in this place, every single last one of us, are going to fail as we reach for the standard that God's Word sets out for us. Isn't that right? That's it. And we said our conclusion was we all need a saviour. And that's absolutely true, isn't it? Every single one of us needs a saviour. So although we were very clear in laying out what God's standard and we were very clear in saying we don't lower God's standard to make it easy to reach, we absolutely just cling on to the fact that we need a saviour. And we are so grateful to have a saviour to help us reach and, and, and strive for that um, standard. So we've lifted God's standard there. I want to now put another standard and remind us of something else in the Word of God this week, because this week we're going to look at identity, our identity. And I want us just to read the next scripture. Simi, would you put it up for us? And we're going to leave it locked up in my Bible, which is up there. These are directly lifted from the page of the Bible. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So when God created us, he created us male and female. And that's the standard, and that's what God, in God's word, and it's a common theme that runs through that book, if you're in any questions. And we were clear to say, these aren't our words, we haven't written them. It's our job to hold the Bible steady, and that's what we're doing. But like if Julian and Sarah were going to write these words, we'd done different things, wouldn't we? We'd have probably written it completely different. But we, we're not the writers. And it's not our job to change it. It's not our job to adjust it, to make it comfortable for the world to come in and sit in our services. It's not our job to correct it or make it um, appear on the lower shelf to make it easier to reach for. It's just our job to hold it where it belongs. Yeah, so 
This is our, our real sort of underpinning scripture for identity. But we know absolutely that people gain their identity from so many places. So we're just going to take, just for a little bit of a laugh, a look at this video. Check out this video, yeah. Can I get you a drink? Yeah, something soft, I'm driving. Parking is an absolute nightmare around here, isn't it? I have to reverse into the tiniest of spaces. Still, I managed it. I mean... Parking's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> and I should know. Why is that? Are you a doctor? Careful. Not a doctor. I'm a brain surgeon. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah, I actually know a joke about this. What's the difference between a doctor and a brain surgeon? One's not exactly brain surgery. The other is brain surgery. <laughs> um, so, uh, what do you guys do? I'm an accountant. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I could do with an accountant. Filling in those tax forms can get really confusing, can't it? Still, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? I mean, brain surgery, believe me, is very complex. Are you an accountant too? Uh, no, I work for a charity. Oh, that's a very selfless job, isn't it? I really admire you. I don't think I could ever do what you do. I say that because it's emotionally draining, not because it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> Which, as a brain surgeon, is what I do. Lionel, here's your drink. Lionel's a brain surgeon, you know. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned it. <laughs> oh, Jeff, they keep you late at the Space Centre. As always. Have you met Lionel? Uh, no, hello, Lionel. So, Jeff, how do you earn a crust? Uh, oh, I'm a scientist. I, I work mainly with rockets. It's, <laughs> it's um, pretty tough work. Um, what do you do? Why, well, I don't mean to boast, but uh, I'm a brain surgeon. Brain surgery? <laughs> Not exactly rocket science. <laughs> Oh dear, I thought that was brilliant. I saw that the other day and, and I thought, how often, you know, can people take their identity from their, their job title, from their role? And like that guy found out very, very embarrassingly there that however good we think we are or however high our role is, there is always someone that's going to be better. So there is always someone. I just thought that was quite a fun way to open up today, so you all feel a bit relaxed now, hopefully. But um, we're just going to look at the definition of identity, and it says the distinguishing character or personality of an, in an individual. You know, so what is our most distinguishing characteristic or personality trait? So obviously in there, that guy kind of just had his job. That was obviously the one he really took to heart because he thought it would impress. He thought, you know, he was better than the other people that he was um, talking to. So that was his overriding characteristic. And that's what he identified himself as. You know, and where do we get our identity from? Is it from our culture? Is it from being married, being divorced, being single, having a same-sex attraction, having children, not having children, our wage packet, our age, our job title, our postcode, our personal GDP, our size, our health, our illness? The list is endless. And there are so many things that can define us, whether we've promoted it ourselves, like that chappy there, or whether it's been attached to us by other people. So we used the pure sex to grab everybody's attention for this series. But you can hear that 
every area of life is as affected by our identity, yeah. the things that make us who we are, the things that we consider how we're made up. I mean, we're going to ask this morning, what defines us? That definition of identity, what defines you? Where do you get your identity from? Where do you look to pick up those characteristics that you tell everybody about? Your Facebook bio, where did you get that identity that you wrote that you want everybody to see, that DNA of your life, the public DNA of your life, your identity, where did you get that from? What is the definition? Um, I know that Sarah and I, being pastors, isn't one that's particularly strong on our list. We don't like really have that identity or that DNA of us being pastors, do we? No. That's it. And, you know, different, I, I, like, I don't even know if it is a phrase, but I like the phrase of sub-identities. And I think we're all made up of a collection of sub-identities, lots of different things. So sometimes in, some con- in a, one context, I'll be mum, and then I might be wife, and then I might be, um, I might be pastor, I might be accounts person, or I might be the freaky eater. I'm quite often that when we go out to restaurants. And, uh, we saw that on date night. We had date night. Who came out on date night? the other night we had an amazing time that was really great and um, Sarah uh, didn't eat anything well the lovely person so. he was really trying to help me and I was just like no just don't worry so I feel I'm like I've the... got my back to you oh, yeah, yeah. don't want to do that I'm the weirdo eater um, and then I'm also known as the lady that likes the large chips with just salt at the kebab van I don't even have to talk to him anymore I just give him the nod and he knows exactly what I want so we haven't got time to tell everybody <laughs> what the kebab van guy thinks of me yeah uh, so um <laughs> stakeholder no so um yeah so I we can have little sub identities from lots of places but I could honestly say and again as we've been thinking about this I've, I've had to test myself first and but I know and it sounds really cringe and really bumper sticker but I know none of those things fully identify me any one of them could try any one of them could try and become top dog and try and become my identity but genuinely even since being quite young, I definitely knew that my identity was in God. And that sounds really trite, but in here this morning, I just want to encourage you that it is possible, and it, you don't, we don't fake it, you don't, you know, we were having this conversation together, weren't we? And, and genuinely, I can see the decisions that Julian makes and the decisions that I make are first and foremost because we are followers of Jesus. That it is the forefront of our mind. Even as a teenager, I remember the decisions I made. No one else told me to make them like that or to do this. But my first place was, Jesus, what do you think? And that was my always my first identity. So I can honestly tell you that we live that out, that we do live that out. And you know, as Julian said with the bookshelf, we use God's word as our standard. We use it through any experience, you know, parenting we've we've done parenting by feel rather than lots of knowledge haven't we but in every situation I can just say that we do we pray and again we're not great at sitting down at the dinner table together and having Von Trapp type prayers and all of that but I know that everything underpinned through us is prayer is communicating with God is wanting to know what he thinks and and that is truly where we get our identity from Absolutely, and God's wanting a relationship with us. God truly wants an intimate relationship. We touched on that last week, didn't mm. we? How important intimacy is in a relationship with God. And I, I just, the, the kebab van's an amazing um, 
an amazing idea because I walk up to the kebab van and I just need a nod from the guy and he's recognised me, he knows who I am and the food's on, it's being cooked, I don't need to order anymore, he knows me well enough. I don't and think that's really a great thing is to that admit not a great, to. I, 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 he means a lot to me, the kebab, kebab van man. We have, we have a very unique relationship. <laughs> so um, I just, I just I like, there is a closeness and, and he hasn't picked that up because he knows me in life, he doesn't know all the other things. He just, it's just my dealings with him have led him to know me in one particular, particular area. So the kebab van man has put me in a box of relationship. He thinks he knows me now because he can start cooking what I want before I've even got there and asked for it. Yeah. And we know, like, absolutely different, because of different things that have happened to us or different things that we've experienced, like, I might be more cautious in an area or I might, you know, prickle in an area or I might be a bit more wary about something. So definitely we're moulded as well by our experiences, but it's still, it's not letting anything like override all of that identity other than Jesus Christ. You know, we don't deny that, that things might skew our viewpoint. As we said right at the beginning, there will be a hundred different viewpoints because of a hundred different experiences. And that's exactly. true for us as well, isn't it? And, you know, and, but, it, but it's just, it's about having that, at the, end, at the end of the day, when there's a decision to be made, which sub-identity wins, isn't it? It's which one in faith wins um, when you're doing, making the decision. So, yeah. I just think that, like, if your experiences shape your identity, and we've got people here that have been victims of perhaps things to do with sex where um, your identity was taken by somebody else or it was forced on you or you're a victim in some way, that that can become, those experiences can become the thing that you most identify yourself with and we want to talk about that a bit this morning as well we want to kind of cover the blanket and begin the conversation but I want this to be a church and a house where we can come and share our issues the things that we're carrying we don't have to sit here with Sunday face on um, and just portray a person that has no struggles whatsoever I said last week that as we reach for God's standard, God's grace is reaching out. And the gap between the end of our fingertips and the standard that we're reaching for is filled in by what Jesus Christ did on the cross from each and every one of us. He's reaching out. And because we fail on the journey of going, we stop going back to God's standard and we stop reaching for it because we failed and we've made a mistake and we don't want everybody to know. But that's what the world's looking at. How is the world ever going to see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ reaching down for you and meeting you on the journey while you're reaching for God's standard? How, if we cover that up and we're not honest about our failures, is the world ever going to see God's grace reaching down and loving you anyway? So I want to create an environment here at Com Church where we can talk and share and be honest. This is what I'm facing. I'm like this is how I, I identify myself. Maybe if you're that victim person and you've got it and you've allowed that to become kind of one of the number one identities or the sub-identities that you pick from to take priority, maybe you could just review that this morning and say, maybe there is. I've, maybe I could just be honest. I have been seeing myself as a victim. I wonder, I wonder if I can take a step and look at what God's word is saying about that. 
I love, um, you know, there's been a recent campaign by Macmillan and they've, they've done it um, recently about um, a sister with cancer is still a sister and a dad with cancer is still a dad because it can be very easy for an illness, especially as all-consuming as cancer, to become the main identity. It can identify a person. And I think that's a really important message that that's a non-Christian organisation uh, trying to get across is, do you know what? They've still got other things going on in their life and it's very easy, and I do it myself, to ask someone about their illness, but that's just, that is one part of them. That's one part of their life. It might be a blooming big part, but it is still only one part. They've still got other things that are going on. They've, they're still thinking about other things. And so I really like that. But yeah, And so with illness as well, you've got, particularly as we're talking about sex, is sexual illness. Those are the things that we don't like to talk about. We don't like to share. We're embarrassed about it. It's intimacy. It's causing difficulties in your relationship. It's easier to leave that unsaid, but allow it to shape your sexual identity. And we want to, this is why we want to cast the net this morning, because all of these different people have shared on, on our website in the past months the hurts that they're facing. And for me and Sarah to sit here and assume we know what it is to be you, or what it is to sit in your place would be really wrong of us. We don't have all the answers. We don't, we don't know what it is to carry the situations that you faced. I wasn't abused as a child. I can't possibly know what it is to sit in your shoes. And we want to be honest about that this morning. But we can introduce you to someone that knows really well how for you to cope with. And that happens as we reach for God's standard. Yeah, so in the same way we, we just talked about illness, that it can be, you know, our marital status can become our identity. The things our parents did or, or didn't do can become our identity. The things children have done to, or, you know, have done to us or, or do can become our identity. Our relationships. Addictions. Addictions, addictions can become, yeah. once an addiction is ground in in your life and you've got something that's habitual in your life that you just keep doing over and over again, it can become an identity. I mean, how many people, like, hey, I'm a smoker, or I'm yeah. this, or I'm that, I'm a drug user, or, yeah. like, our addictions can become our identity, and that's the same with sexual addiction, too, we can yeah. have the same, we're going to hear from Kev next week, we've got a friend coming who works with the prostitutes in Luton, um, Azalea is the company that he works for, and they help all the prostitutes, and he'll bring a stat that will shock you, um, that... Um, one in three men one pay in, for sex. One in five. Is it one in three, I think? Um, he told me one in three men um, are paying for sex right now, which may shock you, but that ultimately means there are people here this morning and there are guys here this morning, and maybe girls, I don't know, um, but paying for sex. And, and that may shock you. It may be strange to look at in church, but sexual addiction is just like any other addiction. An addiction is something that grabs you, it becomes habitual, and you feel trapped because of that addiction. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, you know, we're, we're talking about pornography. We've had some amazing testimonies come through and they're going to be shared on our website over the next um, few weeks. Um, but again, it, it shows how a, a porn addiction can so consume the whole the person's whole life and we've actually had a couple very similar yeah we've had some it, testam great testimonies yeah that it led them to actually want to take their lives because all they could see in that moment was 
the porn addiction and, and just the, that that had become their identity. They couldn't see the fact that they were a great father or a great husband or great at their job or all these other sub-identities. It, would, it was this one little identity had taken over and overriding to the point where they wanted to take their own lives. And, you know, we just thank God that today that didn't happen. Um, and they're here. But what identities are taking over you? What, I'm going to ask today, what identity are you um, most grabbing from your life and promoting it to be how you identify yourself? Yeah, exactly. Teenager is a great identity. Um, it's you know, teenager isn't a biblical word. It doesn't appear in the, in, in the Bible at all. Um, in fact, Jesus, um, Jesus stayed single until the point that he died. He lived his whole life as a single guy in a culture that got married at the age of 13. So if you want a picture of how perfect and how we're to live our lives, um, like Jesus is a great example, but teenager isn't a biblical word at all. In fact, teenager wasn't a word that emerged until the 1920s. It simply became a demographic um, that eventually got owned by the Beatles generation to use to sell music to people. And we identify ourselves and we put people into categories. When we're talking about identity as well, we're not talking necessarily about how you identify yourself, but others can identify you that way. And the marketing firms use the word teenager to market a group of people to reach them in a certain way. And this is, these are all considerations for identity. Yeah, I'm going to go and sit down there because my core is not my identity. And Your my core? core is hurting right. <laughs> sitting on that our bed. Our bed's a bit firmer than that <laughs> yeah. bed, isn't it? That's really so nice. I'm glad that's not our oh. bed. I need to get doing some Pilates. <laughs> Good. Okay. So like we have we have millennials, don't we? Millennials are people born like in or around coming after the 2000s. We have Generation X. That was our generation. Like we had baby boomers, which is the generation before us. And these are just man-made terms that put people of a certain group and it, and they group them by how popular culture influenced their lives at a certain point in time. And they identify that whole group based on how popular culture influenced their lives as they're growing up. That's society putting an identity on you and on me based yeah. on my age. That's it. And, you know, if we fail to proactively search for our identity in God, in, in his word, it's really easy for a counterfeit to fill it. And, you know, at its most extreme, this is why we see young boys joining gangs and joining terrorist groups because they just are desperate to fit in. They're desperate to belong. They're desperate to be part of something. And so they'll even join a terrorist group to just feel like they belong. So again, Julian, just remind us of that scripture. So uh, put the second scripture up, Sim. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Yeah, so we are both created. Male and females are both created in God's image. And in John 1, 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There are so many scriptures around who we are and how God sees us. And, you know, how often can we let other things define our identity but actually, there are so many scriptures. You only just have to start looking, and there are so many scriptures. You can just Google 20 scriptures 
that show our identity through God and you'll just get pages and pages and pages of them. And I encourage you to do that because they're really amazing, amazing scriptures. But it's so important that we search the scriptures, church. It's so important that we don't let media, popular culture, we don't let them define our identity. We don't let the you know, outside world, even friends, unsaved friends, friends that haven't, they've not got the same interest as you of following Jesus. Let them do what they want to do. Don't Bible bash them. Let them get on with it. But don't let it influence what you know to be right and and that's why it's so important you know and I we were saying that never have I tested anything more than when I'm teaching my children something so if I if they ask me a question or or they've heard something or they're not sure about something I've never been one just to go well that's just because how it that's how it is or because I said so that's how we've always done that's it. how we've always done it I've I've not done that with them unless I'm telling them to tidy their bedroom and I'm like just do it because I've asked you a hundred times, <laughs> but they'll get it then. But if it's, a, if it's a question, you know, about identity, about a relationship, about how God sees them, I will research it. And there's nothing wrong with going back and just saying, actually, do you know what? I don't want to give you the wrong answer. So I'm going to look into that. And maybe we can even study together. And they'll be like, yeah, all right, mom. Or I'll come back to you. Give me 24 hours and I'll let you know. And then um, and, and it's so important to do that. And, you know, the, I've seen the, the scriptures that we came across in Corinthians last week. You know, we've got to be careful what we teach our children. I mean, they absolutely say that they, they see before they hear. And they definitely will see how you live and how we live. We've got to reach for God's word in raising our children. Our children the Bible absolutely. does say, teach your children in the way they must go. Yeah. And if you don't teach them or you um is anyone i mean we're starting to grow up in an age if i can talk this way um, where we're like whatever you most identify with you will be yours they use the word identity whatever you most yeah. identify with is fine by us well the word of god when you reach for it it says teach the child in the way they can go i'm not talking about whether your kids wear pink or blue I'm, that's not what i'm talking about that's irrelevant but like we do need in the absence of leadership in the home somebody somewhere often the media them. often social media often friends will take the le- the leadership that you were absent in bringing so i really want to encourage you in this journey of reaching for God's standard and reaching for his word that we use it to train our children as well and what you most identify with whilst we want to hear you out we're also to teach you the way yeah and it's so it is so important and how can we train our children and again it's not even just for those with children there'll be other people you know all of us influence somebody all of us are you know will influence might have a friend that comes and asks advice don't give rubbish advice if you're not really sure what the bible says just again use the same tactic let me find out or let's search through it together because it's really important so you know romans 14:12 says so then each one of us will give an account of our ourselves to God um, you know about what we've said I haven't written the rest of it Um, and it's it's about our account of what we're saying our account of how we're teaching so how I've brought my children up I'm going to have to account to God for that and you'll have to account to how you've helped somebody else or spoken to your children, okay? So that's why I'm saying it's not a comparison thing because we were like, even in our group, there's loads of little differences that some would do that, some wouldn't do that. But when it comes to actual, if there is a biblical answer, 
then we need to know that there's a biblical answer. That's the first step to even know that. But even and touching then... on talking about raising kids is so different for different people. I want to share with you that there are people sat here whose husband and or, and or whose husband or some people here whose wife are on a different continent. They don't live together. And, and I can't even imagine, I can't put myself in that person's role. There are cultures here we know of it because of the questions where they're saying, I've come from a place in Africa, specifically, um, where the people in our community, we believed in polygamy. And I've got lots of different aunties and uncles. And, and, and my upbringing, um, you just couldn't possibly understand what upbringing I've got and that I'm carrying, and I'm carrying these situations. It's affecting how I raise my kids and how I make decisions about my own identity. I'm concerned about the lineage of my family, and people are raising these issues. And quite frankly, Sarah and I stand here this morning and say, absolutely, what do we know about facing that? We know absolutely nothing, but what we do know is that the answer for somebody in your position is the same as for just a married couple trying to work out how we even stay together. Yeah, so, and again, it's, it's that level playing field. Again, it doesn't really, it's not about culture, it's not about traditions, it's not about any of those things. Again, I just encourage everyone to go back to the Word of God. Not, and we said last week, don't take a few scriptures out of context, but it's about reading around the Word. And, and this, All of this, these things shape how we see ourselves and how absolutely. others see us. So Matthew 18.6 says, um, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have, la- have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And you're like, wow, ouch, Jesus. But... You know, that's what he said. So before we think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to let my kids, you know, live however they want, do whatever they want, be happy. I just want, you know, actually, it's better that you jumped into the sea. <laughs> you know, I'm not advocating that. Please, nobody do that today, after today. But that's how important our words are. If we're training our children, knowingly or unknowingly, anti-biblically, that's what Jesus said. That's kind of tough, isn't it? So, yeah, we can't take anything for granted. But let's go back into identity generally for everybody. So I just want to throw out a couple of new, a couple of um, other scriptures, and it's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. That is for everyone. Blanket. The old has gone. So that is, you know, all... Not all, all culture and traditions are bad, and, but it just means that even all of that, in here we believe we are one kingdom culture, right? That's, that's, we're just living to this standard, not the standard of the world, not the standard of what our passport says, not the standard of what our birth certificate says. We live, we're living to the standard um, of the Holy Spirit, yeah? Kingdom standards. Absolutely. Pride and self-loathing can really hinder ourselves we can really come to dislike ourselves and our identity because of things that have shaped us it may even be just to do with health and well-being it may be to do with just the stature the, the job you've been able to achieve and the standing you've sat at, at life I don't know but we can begin to self-loathe and dislike our identity and we can turn to God's word because I want to encourage you that if you begin to reach for God's standard and trying to find out, all of a sudden you come across amazing promise for your identity 
and your life. If you leave your back turned to God's standard, you're never going to know that you're more than a conqueror because in the same place that you will find that you're reaching for God's standard, you're going to find that you're more than a conqueror. As you reach out and God's grace meets the end of your fingertips where your reach hasn't quite made it and perhaps you failed in the last week, you'll find out that you're a new creation. Just as Sarah's read in that scripture just there, you'll find out that you're a friend of God, that God loves you like a friend and he's a brother closer than anyone else and will understand you more despite what you believe your identity is. As you reach out for God's standard, you'll find that you're the head and not the tail. That God's plan for your life is for you to be at the top and and for you to be the head and not the tail, not following behind. It's actually really exciting to think that with the reach for God's standard that is difficult and hard to do and we may fall, we find that there is promise, that the Holy Spirit has a word for us, that Christ is a protector and that you can be protected under the shadow of his wing. The Bible says your protection comes as you do that. So as you fail and you miss the mark, God's protection is there. You'll find out that you're beautiful. As you reach out on this journey and you reach out, God will tell you, you are beautiful and you're beautiful as you are, that there's destiny and purpose for your life, despite how you see your identity. Why choose any other way to identify yourself than in Christ Jesus and by reaching for God's word and his standard? Amen. So as I said, there are so many. I love how Jesus deals with identity and what people say about you. And, and it's one of those things where we all know, we all know that we shouldn't um, think and worry about what people say about us and what identities they put upon us. Yet many of us do, don't they? And, and I just want to read a couple of things as, we, as we're closing and sort of going into a time of ministry. But even just beforehand, I love here, Jesus is like, well, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, well, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, well, here is a glutton and a drunkard. So even Jesus was there like, we can't please you. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? We can't do it. And then I just want to read the whole of this story, because there are so many. And again, go back and read this in your own time in Luke 7, 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now I'm just going to paraphrase the rest, but go and read that entire story. Because the Pharisees that were there and the disciples that were there were really angry with this woman. And they were angry at Jesus. And they said, if you knew the type of woman, she is a sinful woman identity. They had identified her as a sinful woman. And then the disciples were like, she is wasteful. She is a wasteful woman. All of that money could have been given to the poor. And Jesus even says there, they don't care about the poor. They were worried about their own purse. So she was identified. She was a well-known prostitute, other versions say. She was well-known in the town as a prostitute. And then Jesus doesn't answer them. He just, well, he answers them with a, a parable. And it says, who do you think loves the most. The man, and he uses the example of a man who has a debt, and one 
owed hundreds and thousands, one owed a tiny. And he said, who's going to be the most grateful for having the debt cancelled? And they answered, well, obviously the one that had been forgiven the most. And that's how he answered that. And then he said, you know, wherever the gospel is spoken, this woman will be mentioned. She, he then said to her, woman, go free, you have been forgiven. So Jesus changed her identity to free and to forgiven. And don't you think that's amazing? And that was an encounter with Jesus. But in that, as I was rereading that this morning, the Holy Spirit really dropped in my mind was that um, she was there worshipping Jesus, crying on his feet, washing with her hair. And everyone around her wanted her to leave him, wanted her to remove herself. And this is why I said about the visceral reaction is even when it's tough, even when everyone else around you is trying to get you away from Jesus, hang on in there, battle that through because the enemy will want to move you. The enemy won't want you anywhere near Jesus because he does not want you to hear the words, you are free and you are forgiven. But she stayed there. She ignored those voices around and she stayed there until she got that declaration and change of identity from Jesus. The worrying trend we have in our world today is that it's becoming the norm to identify ourselves by who we sleep with by who we take our clothes off for, by who we're having sex with. And that's the trend that's in our world today. And I just want to throw this out there to us. So can we be a people that identify ourselves for something better? Is there a better way for you to identify yourself? I don't want to tell you what that is even. I want to take you on a journey of discipleship to find out for yourself. I want you to begin reaching and finding out what better ways are there to identify myself with than who I'm taking my clothes off for. The purpose of this series, though we can't answer every specific question in an environment like this, completely impossible, completely impossible, but the purpose is to begin the conversation, to remove the awkwardness so that you know you've got an SLT that's not scared to talk about these issues, that you can bring what you're facing If you're the person that wrote to us and said, you feel like God is judging you because in a sexual encounter you contracted HIV. If that's you, I want to tell you, do not suffer in silence that doesn't shock us. It breaks our heart. We want to stand with you and we want to deal with this stuff, okay? We want to deal with this stuff. If you could see the questions that came streaming in when we opened this up, and you've still got time, on Sunday nights we're doing pillow talk. I want to tell you the youth didn't come out on Sunday night. Our young people didn't come. I don't know whether that's because their parents felt they didn't need to bring them or what. But I'm telling you, we're doing pillow talk tonight. And I want to see the young people there. And I want to see the old people there. And I want to see us there. Because these issues, we're going to answer some of these questions. Is God punishing me for a sexual um, for, with, for sexual sin by giving me a disease. We want to deal with these real questions tonight, don't we, Sarah? We, we've had open forum. We're going to look at different things. People have asked us a lot about, is this permissible? Is that permissible? Can I do this in the bedroom? Can I do that? There are lots of questions about those. And I want to encourage you, if you're w- wanting to go on a journey of reaching for God's standard, join us tonight, 6 p.m. for Pillow Talk. But God put in every single one of us free will, all right? So he gave prayer free will. He gave Wesley free will. He gave Christine free will. And when we read that scripture of we were created in God's image, 
the thing that God stamped in mankind, deep down in matters of the heart, deep down in your soul and in your heart, the thing that separates the human race apart from every other animal, every other tree, every other bird, everything around in creation, the thing that separated us was that God placed inside each of us our free will. And it's our free will that has to bend to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. We have to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. And that is the road to salvation. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, we've agonised long and hard because that's what, what I love. I love to speak to people that don't know Jesus Christ. And I love to do that. And sometimes because we're in a church setting, we have to talk to church people. But my heart goes out to someone here today that doesn't know Jesus. But God has put on you, he, you were created, just as we read that scripture, man, male and female, and you were created and God put an image in you. And that image is represented right down there in your soul as free will. And you decide, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my saviour. In the same way, when you're in the bedroom with someone and blood's rushing to wherever blood rushes to and you're in a moment of passion and you're thinking, what am I going to do? Are you reaching for God's standard to find out who should I be taking my clothes off for? Are you doing that? In the same way, that free will that God placed in you can be bent in the same way as you bent it for your salvation to say, I will believe in Jesus you can bend it in that moment too because you know I'm going to reach for his standard. Jesus Christ came to show us it could be done. Jesus is the model. He came to show us that you can live life without needing to get married. You can be fulfilled, fulfilled as a person. In fact, if you read the Bible, it says that like, it's a great thing. It's a godly thing to stay single and to stay that way. It's so important. In fact, it's the model. It's Jesus' model. We aspire to be that person. It's amazing. It really is amazing. So I want to encourage you today. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. In those moments of passion or when you feel like you're facing something that doesn't quite line up to God's standard, I want to remind you, you did it to become saved. You can do it again as you're reaching for His standard. Is that right? Am I allowed to say that? I want, to, I want to close by saying this, and I want to put it over everybody. You are not what the enemy says you are. You are not what the enemy says you are. There's a liar that wants to tell you this is your identity, and it's different to what is in God's standard and in God's Word. You are not what others say you are. You are not what others say you are. Now, people may have picked up on things from your personality and then put you in a box, and they think that's your identity. Well, you're not what others say you are. I want to even say this. You are not who you think you are. You are not who you think you are. Yes, your identity is based on what you know about yourself, but you're not. I want to put this promise out there for you today. You can be what God says you are. God tells you you are more than a conqueror. God says that you are the head and not the tail. Your identity in Christ will be better than your identity that you could write for yourself any day of the week and twice on Sundays. What God writes over to your life is better. Thanks for listening to Church Talks. 
We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless you.